Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. Okay, episode three. We're cruising along on the Ross and Brandon show thing, whatever this is. But uh, we're going to talk some training and nerd out on some training stuff today, man. How, how have things been? Uh, they've been good. Um, hectic and busy, I guess, with the holiday coming up. It seems like things kind of get condensed and the amount of requirements stay the same, but the time gets shortened. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, just dealing with that, what about you? Pretty much the same. We talked right before we recorded how... When you kind of run your own operation, business-wise or whatever, and you're on, and you make your schedules and you set your appointments and all that kind of stuff, you never really stop working. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's during weeks like this, it's just finding those. I'm basically just finding those pockets of where I can try and get like a ton of stuff done. And mm-hmm. you know, because you know, family's not working this week, and they're you know, we're here hanging out as family and stuff. So it's like I need to peace out for like two hours and just go crank on this stuff for a little bit, and then I'll come back and <laughs> hang out. So there's been lots yeah. of those little things this week. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's one of the challenges. Is um, I'm sure doing what you do and and doing the things that I do, people tend to only see the highlight reel and they think, mm-hmm. oh, this is all awesome, this is all good. But there's a lot of legwork and just a lot of time behind the stuff. I mean. We, we have different requirements day to day, you and I, right. but, um, it's, it's still, it's a full-time job and, and many times it feels like more because so much of what I do and I know so much of what you do is through the internet and that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're on Instagram or whatever, you're kind of at the mercy of who messages or who asks questions and I, you know, I love it, but there's also some days it's like, I don't know how to get better at it so that I don't have to consistently pick up my phone. I, I just have that guilt feeling of, right. I don't want to leave these questions unanswered. I don't right. want these comments, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I struggle with, but overall, like I, I love what I do. I love the things I get to do, but, um, it, it definitely challenges me from a balance point, you know? Yeah. A lot of people, when you say like the highlight reel thing, it's just funny. Cause you and I have talked about the, the concept of, of sharing stuff and people like 
wanting to see more of like the day-to-day lives of things that I do and what you do, whatever. And I always like fight with it because I'm like, it's really boring. I promise. Like there's, yeah. it's, it, there's not much to look at. Like I usually am sitting writing stuff or looking at programs and just kind of staring at a computer screen for several hours at a time and, you know, get up and train and maybe film a video or do or eat. But it's like, there's not much excitement happening <laughs> during the day. No. And, and that's the, that's the, the reality of it. I mean, I wish people would show more of that stuff just, just to counter the fact that it is the, the highlight reel. Right. But, um, do you ever, do you ever struggle with, um, kind of, kind of the real you versus the internet version of you? Um, and I, I don't want to make this the whole topic here, but like, right. is, is that something that, cause like yesterday, for example, I posted a hunting video and it, it was all, it was all very real. You know, mm-hmm. it was all, um, everything within the the scope of what I showed is actually what happened. And I, I did draw back on a doe and I had a great shot. She just kind of eluded the, the only shooting lane I had, but I felt very inauthentic Mm. filming it because, you know, it's something that I love and it's something that really, really has made me happy, not hunting necessarily as much as just being outside. And and I, I include hunting as a part of the wheel, not my entire focus. And, um, I don't want to taint something that I love. I don't want what something that I love to become, um, kind of like the demand of, of mm-hmm. keep keeping the wheel turning as far as content and videos and stuff. And then also it's like, I use a Coke can or a tree limb most of the time to film myself. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a film crew. So it's a little bit weird. Like, Oh, I'm going to try to shoot this dough. Let me sneak down here and set my phone up so that I can film what might possibly happen. Um, so, so how do you deal with that? Cause it's, it's something that's challenging me because I have a lot of people asking, um, Hey, I'd love to see more of your hunting stuff. I'd love to hear more from you about the outdoor stuff. How do I get into hunting? And I want to answer those questions. I want to fill that void, but man, when I'm doing some of that stuff and, and not that I felt like inauthentic or like a douchebag, but it just didn't feel like me. Right. I get that. You know, and that's, that's where I'm really struggling lately with, with a lot of the internet stuff. The, the thing that I've noticed is I had to make a conscious effort about this at probably a couple years ago. Cause when I started writing a lot more, I was writing in a voice that wasn't my own. For and sure. so like when I'd read it, I'm like, I don't talk like that. You know, I was yep. trying to sound a certain way to like get my point across, but it wasn't me. Because, I mean, it was me, but it didn't sound like me if you were to have a conversation. And there's a level to, like, grammatical flow and actually writing things well versus just how you you can't just write exactly how you talk. But writing in your own voice, like, is a process that you have to de- in a skill that you really have to develop. And yeah. I had to make that. I remember it was probably like two or three years ago. I had to make that like a conscious effort to write more how I spoke because what I ended up doing too was as, as a, and I can't remember who I learned this from. It was a, it was a book on writing. I was reading a while back. There's been several, but, uh, the act of reading more, like just mm-hmm. reading books and stuff changed how I wrote and what I wrote changed how I spoke. Yeah. And so it was, it's like, it was like this big circle of things. So it took a long time. I mean, and I still kind of struggle with it where I'm like, man, does that sound too like, Instagrammy 
or does that sound yeah. like too you know like too copyrighty which like that's something you know as a business you have to have that skill too like if i'm trying to yeah. sell a service or product like you can't just like wing it and say i'm going to do this differently than anybody that's ever been successful and expect it to happen you know like there yeah. are like marketing things that are like this will work and it's like how do you adapt it so i don't sound like everybody else but at the same time it's like well it works for a reason you know what i mean yeah. so it's like there's that i get it there's that back and forth where i'm like do i want to make it obvious that i'm i'm writing it from this perspective versus like there's there's no point to this but it sounds a heck of a lot like me if you were to read it <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean well you know here's something that i struggle with on that front too is um so i was talking to this old guy in a bar and uh, this was in Utah, and we were just we were just sitting there talking, and he kind of asked what I did, and we were kind of into the flow of it. And I told him I was like, I have a really hard time, um, and, and this is this is also on the heels of like when I was powerlifting. You know, yeah. every day was a video, every day was mm. you know saying what I was going to do, who I was going to be, that kind of thing. And a lot of that came from a false bravado. Like a lot of that was me pep talking myself um, to 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 be successful or to, to have that confidence when it was really rooted right. in insecurity. And now like, I'm pretty sure of who I am. I'm, I'm very sure of the things that I care about and, I, and the people that I love. So it's not like I'm trying to draw a whole bunch of new people in, right? you know, because I've already got my, like, I don't have really a circle. I've got kind of a, an, an extended triangle or square of people <laughs> right. that I really, um, but at the same time, I do want to help people. I do want to share my story in a way that's for me and maybe somebody else can learn from it. But I was talking to this old guy and I said, man, I just have a hard time posting every day. He's like, well, you better be lucky. You're not a musician. And I said, why is that? And he's like, I said, well, I know some of these musicians that think they've written the greatest song in the world, but they don't want to play it for anybody. Hmm. So nobody ever, you know, or like the artist that like wants to take two year hiatus when you haven't earned a two year hiatus, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I think, I think for me, it's like, I, I hope one day that people can value that what I post can bridge the gap between what I didn't post. But I also, I struggle with that too, man. Like yeah. I really do struggle with how do I show what I'm doing, feel good about that and not change what I'm doing to show more of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like walking through a landfield, man, or well, not and a land you realize landmine field. And you and you realize too that like just the act of of doing it more just will will do nothing but help you refine that. You know whether it's yeah. how you how you're writing whatever. Because I, I I think back to uh, and I haven't actually thought about this in a couple of years, so it's cool that it just popped into my brain. But I don't know. I'm sure you saw the the PJ20 documentary on Pearl Jam that came out ten years oh, or so yeah. ago. But at the beginning of it, that's like one of my favorite music documentaries of all time, by the way. Not surprising. Cameron Crowe made it and is yep. awesome. But um, at the beginning when they were talking to Cornell and they were talking about like in the mother love bone days before Andy Wood died and before Vetter came in and became Pearl Jam and everything. Cornell and Andy Wood were super close, the two singers, and they had a challenge to each other that every and they lived together. There was a time there was a sub, few months that they lived together in like this tiny apartment and they challenge each other every single day they'd write a song and then they have to play it for the other one at the end of every day. And so like sometimes it was just some random like little two minute keyboard song or something like just strumming on a guitar. But they'd have to like actually write a song every day and they'd play it for the other one at the end of every single day. And they did that for months. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, when we're, when you're talking about like, well, what's worth posting or whatever, like most of it probably will never gain traction, but the act of actually doing it, like you're going to just get better. I mean, imagine how many, probably none of those songs ever actually became songs that they ultimately ended up recording. I, w- I would right. bet almost none of them did, but maybe one of them was like black hole sun. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But like right in the middle, there was something that sparked an idea later on that actually became like huge. And so when I'm, when I'm always like going back and forth and I'm like, Oh man, I just don't want to do this. And like, people don't want to see this. I was like, well, it's more like, how do I just get better at doing this? And that's just to do it. You know what I mean? Even if it's yeah. m- well, most of them are like, if I, if I throw something up and I'll post and I'm like, Oh, two, you know, 40 people saw this and one person liked it. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything anyways. Like just yeah. whatever. I'll do one the next day and maybe that one does something. But it, it like those numbers don't actually mean anything. <laughs> no, you're right. And it's it's funny because it's like I'm almost spoiled by the following that I had with powerlifting. Right. Like right. It, it kind of it kind of curbs and I do I do somewhat struggle I guess with the fact of having the knowledge that if I did these things or if I you know, got online and I, I bashed somebody or something like you automatically know that you're going to get more views, but it's also like that's those people followed me because they liked powerlifting and they found me. Right. And now it's like, I found hunting. I found the outdoors and only a fraction of the people that followed me for powerlifting are probably into outdoors, hunting, camping, whatever. Those people are still following. They're still liking so it's more like you just have to reassess. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, our friend Kip um, founded Under Armour. Well, yeah. when he when he left that, I'm ob- obviously when he partnered with Origin or started Big Truck Farms, they weren't getting five thousand likes on a post. But right. he was, you know what I mean? It's like it's just growth and it's yeah. change, and that is still something that I I I remember what I used to traction at, and now it's like. It doesn't, you're right. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a damn thing, but for some reason that thought is there, right? you know, but, um, I, I really want to say thank you to you because like I, like I told you before we started, you know, I'm a very creative person. And I think one of the beauties about art is that creative people can just sling paint on the, you know, paint on a canvas and, and eventually they can feel better. And that's what I do when I generate ideas. I feel, I feel better. You give me a pointed direction. I'm really good at that. But myself, the, the, the gap between creative idea and what to do next is difficult. So when you and I talk throughout the week, you know, I might have an idea, you might have an idea, but you ultimately say, Hey man, let's get a video up. Let's, uh, let's give some kind of helpful video this week that might be constructive or actionable. And then let's podcast about this. And we talk about it back and forth, but it's like, I'm accountable to this project because mm. of you. And that helps me out tremendously. So, um, I, I really appreciate that. And I think it's kind of helped me through some of those cobwebs that I've had about the whole thing, yeah. you know, because it's just, uh, it's good because you're, you're somewhat in the same boat. I am as trying to help people and help yourself at the same time. And, right. uh, I think maybe that's a good segue to, what we were going to talk about before we get to rambling on this. But um, (laughs) I think a lot of people get stuck in who they've been or what they've done. And it it becomes an identity. And what we were going to talk about today was how to transition those things into life after sport, training after sport or training, training after 
you know, what you were used to training for. And, you know, I know myself, like I trained high level powerlifting. I'll say I trained it for over 20 years, but high level 10 to 12 years and, um, catastrophic injury. And that kind of forced my hand. You played sports through high school, college and everything. So after that, it's like, now what? After my injury, I was like, now what? As an athlete, how did you feel in that transitionary period where it wasn't like somebody saying, Hey, you got to be there at six o'clock in the morning for weightlifting. Yeah. Hey, you got to be there at three o'clock in the afternoon for practice. Because to me, I think that innately I'm a very proactive person, but right. my default is self-destruction. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> right. I yes. mean, and, and that's just, that's just a true, honest assessment of my life. Like go left and you'll find gold and you go right and you find hell, but gold might be through the other side. I'm mm-hmm. always choosing right. And, um, dumb, but I always do. But man, that, that was one of the hardest things that I ever went through to the point that, um, I mean, I've talked about it on other podcasts and I don't know if you and I've ever directly talked about it, but there was a point because I could not figure myself out and I could not figure the direction of my life out. I just, I did not know how to live anymore. It's not that I didn't want to live. I literally didn't know how to, to, rectify what I was feeling versus what I'd lost versus what I wanted to gain. And what that led to was many, many, many afternoons sitting in my garage, sitting on a bench, completely unable or unwilling to move and do anything. But I told myself, you have to go in the gym for 45 minutes. You have to sit there, do something, do something. And many, many days I had no idea what to do because I was afraid of squatting. I was afraid of benching. I was afraid of deadlifting. I didn't want to hurt myself. And the genesis of my motivation used to be that if I lived to 50 years old, I didn't try hard enough. Like that was, that was my motivating factor because all these guys that I looked up to died fairly young in pursuit of, of maximum weight under a bar. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely stupid by the way. Um, not because it's a, it's a wasted effort. But when that becomes all that you are, when the only thing that you can talk about yeah. is the pounds you lift or, you know, whatever it is, uh, it, it's very, very difficult to unwind that as your as who you are and then figure out who you are for real and then what to do with that. So it took me years and it, it pushed me to the to the point of not even knowing what I was going to do next, not even knowing if there was going to be a next and uh, I just wondered how you dealt with some of that stuff. Was it as was it as drastic for you? Was it more of a a graduated thing where you knew that maybe you weren't going to play baseball or, or sport after college? So it was like senior year, junior year, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, this is this is the end. I'm okay with that. There was a little bit of that um, because, especially, I mean, because I I did football and track my freshman year of college and then just did track for the rest of the three years. I stopped playing ball and just wanted to focus on one and ended up learning, having to learn seven more events because they wanted to make me a multi. Um, so for the, the reason, every track athlete ever part, part of my reasoning for not wanting to do is like, Hey, I don't want to be practicing for six hours a day, but then they're like, Oh, Hey, learn seven more events. So you're still going to be doing it. You just won't be doing football also. But, yeah. Uh, you know, like I was, I was extremely average like, you know, I was I was fast, but I wasn't like going to nationals and competing fast. Right. Or like, you know, because that was kind of you know, that's kind of the point of a decathlete. Like, I mean, you have a couple guys that are really good at it, one or two things, but 
you know, average or above average in as many of the other things as possible, right? So, like, I'm not open 100 speed, open 400 speed, all that kind of stuff. So, in my head, like, all through this time, I'm like, well, look, I've got three more years. I've got two more years. I've got one more year. It's like I'm not going to compete for USA anything afterwards, you know. So, there was, like, this hard end date. But as far as the training piece and like the accountability piece and the motivation, like that was where more of the struggle came to just want to continue to train for a little yeah. while. And it was funny because right after I was done, like I, I said it kind of in jest, but I was serious about it. When I, after I ran my last meet, I ran my last race, which was the 200 uh, that day at the final meet and I was done. I kind of just jokingly be like, okay, I'm done. Like I'm not training for like, a long time you know like i've i haven't not done something since i was 13 years old you mm-hmm. know and so i was like i have never gone through a period where i just kind of didn't do anything like that to take like, like give my body a break and so i like literally that whole summer i bet i actually trained like twice i was like just doing stuff during the summer and playing you know hanging out and doing all my normal stuff and then when i moved up and got the gig at the gym like it was real hard for me to get to the point where i was like itching to go train again because i'm like well for what you know like what like what is there why am i what's the point of me doing this like i i hadn't gotten to the point where like training to be healthy even mattered because i'm like i'm in good shape what difference does it make you know like i don't have you know i'm i'm coming off of being like a, a athlete in college who's fit and all this kind of stuff i don't need to train to be healthy i'm like i'm healthy already like there was no desire to like there was no intrinsic motivation for me to bring any kind of intensity to my training in a regular fashion. Cause I'm like, I'm not competing in anything. I'm not, you know, like the idea of training for health, like just didn't mean anything to me at 22 years old, Yeah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so like it was, a, and, I, and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't something that for the next like few years I went back and forth, like struggling with like, and, and really it wasn't until you know, I did little things like I was training to do an Olympic weightlifting meet for a little while. I went, I went through a couple like uh, Olympic lifting blocks of training, working with a coach. I actually had uh, Travis Mash do some of my programming for a while, um, which was fun. I got stupid strong. Like I was the strongest I ever was. Um, he's unreal. Yeah. And it was super fun uh, because I could learn something new. Like I'd never, I'd done power cleans and stuff training in college, but like I never had paid attention to the technique and the, the like how in depth you have to go to just compete in Oli lifting. And when you literally snatch, clean, and squat every single day of the week, like those things really start to get ingrained. And so it was fun for me to learn something, and that was like the trigger where I'm like, I just need to do something where I'm learning something. Yeah, and that's like what can drive me to actually want to participate. So there was things like that. And then really like the biggest one in the last couple of years was when you and I talked when I started jujitsu yep. and it was like, okay, my training actually has an effect on this thing that I'm learning. How do I now use my training to get better at this thing? And so that brought me back into like how I was competing in track and, or football my whole life. I'm like, now it serves a purpose. Like the health is, is nice. That's like the, almost the byproduct though. You know, I like to yeah. train to do stuff and like compete or and now even lately in these last couple of years with taking hunting and training for like mountain hikes and Western hunting more seriously, like there's certain things that I know I need to be able to do 
and I have to make sure my training is conducive to those things. So it's like a lot of people are content with just, you know, I just want to be healthy. I want to go and hit my 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour in the gym and, and crush it and walk out and not think about anything about training ever again. Like, A, I can't do that because it's my job. I'm talking about training all the time. So like all day long, I'm talking about programming and training and workouts and lifting <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But then two, it's like that doesn't do anything for me motivationally to just say, hey, I just need to go get a sweat on for 45 minutes. Like <laughs> I need some sort of thing to work towards. And I don't know if that's super sustainable long term. If like I'm always trying to chase something and compete at something forever, maybe like I grow out of that. I don't know. I don't know if you're how, like to that old, kind of place yet. How old are you? 31, 32? 30. 30, 30 okay. in April. Okay. So the gap between 30 and 40 for me, 30 years old, 31, 32, I was competing at the highest level of powerlifting. Yeah. I was ranked number one uh, year to date. I was in the top 15, uh, actually number 12 all time at one point. And, uh, and I was top 20. And, you know, I, I had a lot of really positive things, outcomes, but right. much the same like you, um, I did not, I did not love training just to train. Like when I, when I had a competition in the, in the horizon, man, assholes and elbows, I was in there, I was getting it. I was working as hard as I could. My diet was in check. If, if I needed to eat 10,000, not 10,000, but if I needed to eat 6,500 calories yeah. a day, that's what I ate. If I needed to eat 3,500 to lose weight, that's what I ate. Um, that competition aspect is such a valuable resource for me because I do not, and, and this might be rooted in an arrogance as far as a statement, but I don't generally look at most people in the public and feel threatened. And that's not me saying yeah. I'm a badass. It's like, right. if I had to, like, I'm going to be okay in whatever situation I'm in. That's, that's cool to say, but it's not really like a motivating factor to do more because it's like, I'm capable, I'm, I'm skilled. I don't need to do this much more like from the level of beginner. So it allows you to, oh, I'm just going to take the day off. Oh, I'm just going to take the day right. off. And when I have something to compete for, that is gone. So at 30 years old, I was at the height of competition. 32, I fell, injured myself. And really until about 2016, um, it was just a slow degradation circling the drain. Like I, I really was lost. I was still trying to be that the man, you know, the, the, the man, right. quote unquote, um, and I was competing. I competed 10 months after I fell, literally had a, uh, like a, you know, if you were to twist a chicken leg, that was my left leg. Like it just, mm -hmm. every ligament tendon gone. Um, right leg was uh, quad tendon, patella tendon. The doctor told me I wouldn't talk for 10 or walk for 10 months. And 10 months to the day I was in Australia competing again, you know, at, at the GPA Worlds. So yeah. it was like, I didn't want to just go to like the backyard meet in Lexington, Kentucky I'm going halfway around the world to see if my legs will hold up under the weight. And of course right. I trained for it. They did well. Um, I placed, uh, I hit a big total and was very, very proud of myself having done that against the injury, but it wasn't against the competition because I didn't even care. I just did the competition because it's like, Oh, Brandon's back. You know, that's what it meant to me more than giving a shit about winning. And I knew that then, but I didn't want to admit that then. So I kept competing yep. in these little competitions or not little, but competing here and there, here and there. And that, that kept me going. But in 2016, I just knew it was done. I'd had 19 or at that point I'd had 17 surgeries on my knees. Um, 
I, I just really needed a change of direction, but I didn't know how to let go of this thing that made me money, made me known and like kind of afforded the life that I had. So, So I felt like if I went away from that, it would be like walking into your job bills due next week. And you're like, I'm just going to quit, you know? So I, I felt, right. I felt that struggle. I, like, I hate the word quit. Like I hate being a quitter. I hate being accused of being a quitter. I hate having that feeling. So that was difficult. But now, um, the archery stuff and the hunting stuff and the camping stuff, there's not like a competitive one V one or a team right. team V team. But what I, what I do know is that if I don't shoot my recurve consistently, I go backwards and I don't like that. Um, the competition for me is ultimately against my fitness on the mountain or, or preparation for a hunt. The animal is obviously the biggest adversary I'll ever face in any, you know, nothing that I have ever done in sport matches the will to live of an animal that I am chasing to hunt. So that competitive aspect has been ignited and maintained there, but I'm very, very scared of the possibility that I will need that drive forever or that without it, I fall apart. Like I, like I told you, I am self-destructive. I need things like, uh, I've talked about it before. Like I need bowling lane bumpers on whatever pursuit I go into, because I can tell you, um, and and I don't say this proudly, but like, I'm the kind of person that knows, man, if I moved out West, I would have these options to hunt. If I did this and this and this and this and this, I can, I can drop everything and go do that easier than I can say, you know what? I'm going to hunt three or four times a year. I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to, I'm going to do all the things right because I am just a passion, passion driven person. And I'm passionate about those things and I love those things, but man, there's something crossed wires or something inside of me that just demands that I milk every bit of effort I can out of myself towards something like a, a personal endeavor. Like all of those other things are great, wonderful, and I enjoy them. But man, I have to have something that kind of gets my blood going. So do you have to do like the, the Michael Jordan thing and like make stuff up in your head just oh, in order to dude, like, I can to tell you get yourself right, to do it. Uh, no, I, I don't because I, I will like, if there's a competitive aspect, I'm already going to do it. But right. if there is a, like, if there is a, an uptick for any reason, so, uh, just a quick, quick anecdote and then we can move on. But, um, in powerlifting 2012, there was a meet going to be held in, uh, 2013 called the, uh, the backyard meet of the century at Mark Bell's gym. And whenever he announced it, I, I saw Eric Lillibridge, Dan, uh, green, um, Stan efforting all these big name lifters were going to be there. And I knew Mark and I sent him a message and just told him I'd love to come compete. And I'd only been training raw for a very short time. And he got on there and he was like, yeah, we got the bird dog from paint lit Kentucky. And he's coming all the way out to California for last place. Well, dude, I know that's Mark's personality and he's a little bit of a, you know, he, he got some gamesmanship to him and he's, you know, just having fun, but man, it ate all over me. Like I don't go anywhere for last place. I don't go, I do not do anything for last place. And, um, so I went out there and I had printed that out. I had it in my rear view mirror of my truck, last place you're training for last place or in my mirror on my room, which was like, you're coming to California for last place. And dude, I would get like teeth clenched mad driving down the road. And I would look at that. So there were times that I would train 
leave the gym, see that, and I would go back and do more accessories or something like that. It was obsessive. It was extremely obsessive. Um, you know, it's the double-edged sword. Part of why I was good, part of why I was terrible. Um, yep. But anyway, I go out there and I win the meet. First thousand pound or thousand kilo total, twenty two hundred four pounds. First eight hundred pound deadlift ever. And also, Louie told me that I would never deadlift eight hundred pounds unless I tra- trained <laughs> at Westside. So there was a there was a lot riding on that last deadlift. The win, thousand kilo total, eight hundred pound deadlift, and and proving Louie wrong. And not that I was mad at Louie, but I sent him a message and I was like, "Hey man, I just wanted to let you know I got that eight hundred pound deadlift." And he's like, "I told you you'd never get it without Westside." And I replied to him, I said, what are you talking about? He was like, how much did you train? How much harder did you train to prove me wrong? And I said, <laughs> you know, and, but that's Louie and like typical, right. typical classic. He still ends up being right. <laughs> exactly. But he was right. He was right. Like I definitely had that. I'm going to show you mentality. And that's always been me. Yeah. Like I want to show you. So, um, as far as that goes, when somebody challenges me, I just don't know that I am strong enough as a man to not accept it. Like that's maybe, that's maybe an exaggeration, but if it's in my wheelhouse of something I want to do, right. I have a really hard time backing down and that's, that's burned me a lot too. You know, I've I've had some really great highs from it, but it's burned, it's burned friendships. It's burned, you know, it's burned a lot of things in my life. Like I, I don't know that I am a person to model yourself after, from a competitive standpoint, even though my competition results were positive, man, it's, right. it, there's a lot of weight behind those. But that's the thing that, I mean, it's been talked about all over the place for forever now. If you're ever going to reach the very top of anything, like it's going to come at the expense of a lot of other things. Yeah. You know, like there's no way to do it and be balanced. And, you know, you like you can't especially when you're talking about like on a world level. Yeah. Right. Like in, in any kind of endeavor, like I'm not talking about, you can be the fittest dude at your, uh, CrossFit competition that happens once a year in your neighborhood. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause you can do that and be naturally athletic and genetic and, uh, just still train hard and come in and probably beat people, you know? But like, if we're talking about being on a world level among the top 30 or something ever, like that is going to cause rifts in other parts of your life because of what it takes from just a personality standpoint, like to get to that point, like you have to be like, you've said the word obsessive several times already. Yeah. Like it has to be some level of that. And I mean, there's examples of that all over the place of people who like, yeah, you have the, the gold medals, you've got the world records, you've got all this stuff. And then, but then you realize it's like, Hey, I've, spent 20 years doing this and paid no attention to anything else. Yeah. You know, so it's like when you're, when you're done, I totally understand. It's like, I don't even know where I am right now to some degree. So it's, it was interesting for me to like, as, as we've gotten closer and gotten to know each other, like to still see that the, the intrinsic level of motivation is still down there to train hard. So I'm wondering with your, with your training specifically, like in these last couple of years, Mm -hmm you know, ever since, ever since your day one kind of reset and everything that's transpired since then, like has, uh, because obviously the load is not the same Yeah, in in the literal sense. Like you're not just putting the poundage on like you did. Um, Is that, how how did you 
make that translation in your head of like the weight's not what's important anymore. Yeah. You know, just for training purposes, because I mean, like, even if you're not competing, you're like, I still want to go in and lift heavy just because it's fun. Yeah. You know, but like you really don't even do a ton of that anymore. So like where where was that translation in your mind happening? So. Two, Jan, or, uh, June 1st, 2019, it had actually kind of happened a little before that, but that was my official day one like declaration that I am going to do everything I can to live to be 75. Um, like I said before, I used to think if I lived to 50, I didn't try hard enough. You know, I was 335 pounds at, at my heaviest good competing weight. I was 348 post-injury at my biggest. Um, in high school, I was 170 pounds. In college, as a thrower, I was 225, 230 pounds. Uh, in college, I was about seven to eight percent body fat, walking around year round. And now, uh, you know, I'm 225, 230, probably in that. I'm going to say just 12 to 13 percent body fat range. Like it's a very healthy, maintainable five, six days a week. I'm very disciplined one day a week. I have a few beers, have a, have a bourbon, or you know, a big cheeseburger or pizza or whatever. But I, I wanted to get to a point where I could be healthy, I could be mobile, I could do the things I wanted to do, and I could live. I could get to enjoy this life. Because when I was 32 years old, I hated life. I hated everything else except being strong. I hated people. I hated this. I mean, it just, the only thing I, I cared about was powerlifting because that was my vehicle to the things I wanted to do. Like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't love powerlifting, but I was good at it. And that's a dangerous place to be too, when you're good at something that you don't ultimately care that much about, but you have to right. care about it because it's what you're good at. So dude, I went through a lot of struggle, um, during that time period from really, from, let's just say 2014 is when I fell 2019 is kind of when I got my, my shit together, but man, 15, 16, 17, 18, those four years were really, really dark for me, like really, really dark, hard on me. Um, I was not taking pain pills as prescribed, but what I would do is I would just try to do without. And then I would, it would get so bad after three or four days that I would just take four or five days worth at one time and try to check out for a couple of days. Um, I, I don't think that I, I certainly don't think I was addicted because I never, never continued their use after the prescription ended. But I also don't think that I was not abusing them. You know, I was, I was escaping, uh, not pain, but escaping life. Cause I just wanted to pass out for a day or two. And man, when you start wanting to lose days of your life, like just to sleep, it's a bad place. I, I was also well over 300 pounds. I needed a CPAP to sleep. Um, highly recommend that to anybody that actually needs it or any athlete. Really. I think any athlete can benefit from ex extra oxygenation. So night nights that I'm really tired now, I still use it, but I went through everything. I started following Cam Haynes after a Rogan podcast. And um, I, I really appreciated like his dedication to effort, his like just go hard, just do it, get it done, run, push, whatever it is. And I started running. Like I, I, when I literally heard that podcast, I had, I had not walked a mile in probably 10 years. Okay. Uh, I used to get extreme back pumps from the mass that I carried like, 500 yards in a Christmas shopping in a mall and I'm sitting on every park bench in between. Um, I would, I just was not in good shape and I knew that. So the first day I go out and I'm like, Hey, I want to see if I can walk a mile. Well, I walked away from my truck. So I had to come back another mile. 
So right. I was like, maybe I can jog this or just jog as far as you can and then finish. So day one, walk a mile and I jogged like, and I'm talking, if I walked at 1.8 miles per hour, I jogged at two miles an hour. Like it was, <laughs> right. you know, a 330 pound man lumbering down this sidewalk, but I felt good because I had accomplished a goal. Like I had, I had done something that I knew that I couldn't possibly have done prior. Um, mm-hmm. So the next day I go out and I'm like, I want to do a 5K. And then the next day I was like, I want to do seven miles. And the next day I was like, I want to do a half marathon. And I mean, this is literal. Like within 10 days, I went from not being able to walk a mile or knowing that I could to a half marathon. Well, I get into the half marathon and I'm like, well, what kind of asshole starts something with half in the title? So I end up doing, I only, I end up doing 26.2 miles, um, that day and it only falls down to i got to mile 18 and i was looking at my phone getting ready to call an uber because i was dying and i had eight miles back to my truck so i called my high school coach bunky harkle road we talked about him before eight o'clock in the morning here i'm 18 miles in it's five o'clock in the morning in california and uh he had messaged and i called him and i was like dude i need some help like I'm, I'm, i'm gonna quit and that dude if anybody instilled a desire to not quit something in my life, my dad's been a big factor, but Bunky was it. Um, Mm. he was like, I, I, one time we were supposed to do a drill and I was kind of goofing off and ended up making the other guys run. That was Bunky's punishment. Like if you're the jackass, you get to sit out while your teammates run. And I I begged him. I was like, dude, I was, it's on me. It's on me. And he goes, well, here's the thing. You got to run. You got to keep your elbows above your shoulders and your hands in a touchdown symbol and you can't let them drop. And I was running and running and man, he was just letting me have it. And I was like, I'm not going to let them drop. He's like, you're running until they drop. I was like, I'm not going to let them drop. And then finally his, his criticism turned to encouragement. He's like, you're not going to let them drop. You're not going to let them drop. Keep going, kid. Keep going, kid. So I finished them. Never let my hands drop. Got my teammates off the hook. Cause that was a trade off. If I let them drop before the end, my teammates still had to run. So it was on me and dude, that was one of the proudest moments in my life because I was just a jackass kid that thought my coach hated me up until that point. And that was a, that was a really, really changing moment in not only our friendship relationship, coach player, but I think that was the foundation for our friendship today. So I just didn't want to quit. He stayed on the fucking phone with me while I finished that thing. Eight miles. He stayed on the, and not only that, I hear clock, clock. He puts his shoes on and goes out and starts doing it with me. So, you know, that was so powerful to me that I believed, like, if I can do this, I can do anything. So I stayed with the running a little bit. Didn't love it. Didn't like running that much. But I I continued because I could do it and I could get excited for it. You know, like, I I just kept wanting to better myself, better my time. It gave me measurable uh, growth. Well, that wasn't really that great for me. I lost a lot of weight. But um, I just didn't love it. My knees took a beating. I mean, 19 surgeries in at this point, and my knees are okay, but they're, they're taking a beating. So then I found rowing, and I started hiking. And the row led to uh, a challenge to do 100,000 miles in a day. I did that. I remember that. Um, on my birthday. And um, that was we raised a lot of money for Southern Grind or Southern Ground, which is one of Zach Brown's uh, camps that he runs for autistic and children in need. So we donated $20,000, $25,000 to that. Um, and that, you know, rowing then kind of lost its motivation because I'd achieved that goal. Get into hunting. And 
that thing. I, I did rock climbing. I did, uh, cycling. I, I mean, I, I was literally trying to find anything that I could to attach myself to, to have that want to, to have that market scalability of improvement. Well, right. I just couldn't find the thing. And then my love of hiking, my love of camping just seemed like a natural segue back into hunting. And that's where I've been really for the last four years, since around 2018, 2019, um, when I decided that I wanted to, to live the life that I way, the way that I wanted to, my grandfather and his father both died at 73. So 75 became my goal. And all of those things I mentioned, hiking, camping, hunting, I know people that are doing those things at 75 years old. All right, we're back. Go ahead. So I've got 35 years of life ahead of me, if I live to 75, that I can pursue the things that I'm doing now. And that's very motivating for me because I don't like changing things. I don't like having to go out and buy all the equipment for the new interest I have. As it seems that I've gotten older, the interests I have are more expensive. So um, mm -hmm. I'm just at a place now where my training is dedicated to those three things, really the outdoors, I'll say, and anything involved in that, kayaking, rock climbing, camping, hiking, hunting. So I would encourage anybody that's listening to, to not get to a point where you actually believe that you're done. Um, because like I said, if I had stopped at running and said, well, I just, you know, there's nothing else for me to do besides lift weights, I would have never found many of the great things that I enjoyed, like jujitsu. Like that, that's yeah. such a great, that's such a great sport. And it's so good for everyone. Like it's just, it's scalable. So challenge yourself that if you find something that you like for a while and it kind of fades out, that wasn't it. Find something else, find something right. else. Um, but my training to, to t say all that, to get back to your original question is how I coped with that. Well, in my, in all of the things that I do now, the heaviest thing I could probably imagine ever having to individually lift is like 400 pounds, right. you know? So why do I need to chase an 800 pound squat or 800 pound plus deadlift and so on and so forth? Um, and, and literally from my knees to my neck and my spine, I have a lot of residual negative effects from powerlifting. Um, I did, I did not, it's not that I blame the barbell because I was the jackass who, who did the competition unprepared, um, kind of didn't, didn't do the things that I had done previously because I was the man, right? I don't have to do these things anymore. And right. it ended up, it ended up costing me dearly, but I just needed, um, I just needed something to, to do that I knew would benefit me in the field would benefit me on a hike, would give me the confidence just as a man to be strong, to be capable, to be able to move. Because at 340 pounds, as strong as I was, like I said, I couldn't walk a mile without nearly feeling like I was going to die. I couldn't run after somebody if, if somebody I loved was in danger. I couldn't probably fight somebody for more than 30 seconds or a minute. Like if I got my hands on you, you're in trouble. But if you can move, I was screwed. So yeah. all the, all these people that posture and think that you know, because they're one thing that they're everything. It's, it's such a false reality. And I think that's how, uh, I, I sought Terrence out. We met at summer strong and I love the way that he trained. It was kettlebells only, uh, some push-ups, pull-ups, body weight stuff. And he looked phenomenal. He was a 
phenomenal speaker, a thinker, and it just attracted me to his philosophy. So I started training with Terrence and man, I, I really started shredding down. I started getting strong in ways that I'd never felt. I started feeling flexible. I started feeling mobile. And I was like, this is what a human being is supposed to feel like. This is as good as it gets. And, uh, when Terrence passed away, right back into the same mode of like, man, just floating along. Yeah. I'll swing some kettlebells. Yeah. I'll press this. Um, I just wasn't dedicated. I was more dedicated to Terrence than I was the training. Right. And somewhat lost for a bit. And that's where right at the end when, he, before he passed away, I had started using a mace in my training and I'd, I'd known of Greg, I'd known of his work, um, uh, but I hadn't delved fully into it. So it just seemed like a natural progression and respect of Terrence's respect for Greg that I contact him. And I was like, look, I trained with Terrence. I need some help. And what Greg classifies his training as, I mean, I don't think this is the, the, the breadth of it, but just, uh, you know, the tagline is it's expert generalism. Like yep. we're going to make you fully prepared and capable to do whatever you're demanded. And also being able to move yourself, get your ass off the ground, be able to pick yourself up, be able to lift your body weight expertly first, and then we can work on everything else. And it, it just made so much sense in, in harmony with all the things that I was wanting to do and had tried before it just was like another progression and i've really been training the wolf brigade system now I, I mean i guess going on two years um which is crazy to say in itself because it's gone so fast but you know am i training greg's program day to day exactly as he's written it no i was but during hunting season i have i just have to modify that but there, i haven't right. found a better system for me but i don't necessarily know that i can just cast a wide net and say, Hey, everybody go do this because sometimes people aren't ready for it. Like mentally, they're not ready sure. to not be 500 pounds squatting on the bar. Not to say that you can't. I just chose not to focus on those things as a mark for how good I am. Like, because I don't squat 500 pounds, does that mean I'm not good at jujitsu? No. Does, does that mean I'm not good at hunting? No. So I, I detach myself from the, the belief that I was better than I was because I can lift something. And the cool thing about Greg's stuff, you can take the same implement, the mace or a kettlebell, make one little change to tempo, and now it's all you need, whereas last week it might have been not enough. And that's what I love about it. It's, it's highly versatile. Um, I, can train, I can take my 10-kilogram mace and like a 40-pound kettlebell, keep them in my truck. I'm mobile and capable of training anywhere. That was the other sexy thing, too, because like, dude when I was training at Westside, you know, bands, chains, specialty bars, <laughs> tons of stuff you, you needed. You go to a, you go to a commercial gym on vacation and it's like, well, you can't get anything that you need, yeah. you know? And, and then I found myself like spending an hour on the phone on vacation, trying to find a gym that could accommodate Westside style training. Yep. And it's the best in the world for that, but it just wasn't, it, it just became a problem. So mm -hmm. this way it's, it's functional. I hate that word. It's abused and way misunderstood, but it is functional for my life. It's highly versatile, versatile, highly adaptable, and it's e and it's easy to get done. You give me twenty minutes with a mace, never put it down. You're going to be tired. You're going to be worked. Yeah. Um, if you got forty, and not minutes, a heavy one either. It do, and dude, that's the thing too. It doesn't like the load is is surprisingly little compared to what people think you need to like actually get stronger. You know, yeah. And, like, and it's just, it's, it's, it's a, 
it's like that you that full body euphoria when I'm done. Like I know yep. I did something, but I'm still capable to go do something else. And that's what yep. I'm looking for. But it's um it's taken some time and I and I needed to be a lot kinder to myself in the process because there were so many days where like, oh you're such a pussy. You're just being a you know, you're just being a little bitch. Like get up and do this. Mm-hmm. Some days you're just not capable of that, especially when your mind's not right. You know, like when your mind yep. isn't made up that this is the best thing for you. Especially for a guy like me, it's very hard to do it. But now that I've found those things, I'm I'm very eager to do them. And I know that they pay off because I see myself in the mirror. I know the way that I feel. I know the way that I roll in jiu-jitsu. I know how I feel on a mountain. It's just working. And I'm trying to milk that stage for 35 more years. Like, I'm sure I'll yeah. have adapt- adaptations. But that's what I'm looking for as a 70-year-old man is to be able to move, be capable, be able to get my ass off the ground. The... The thing that was really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very similar in a lot of those respects mm-hmm. because needing to find something around like the, like where that's the, the gravitational pull, so to speak of like, okay, it, um, it's this system or it's like, like I mentioned before, like learning something, you know, that's been more the driving factor I would think in, in terms of actual training implements, because I, I mean, I've told the story a, a few different times, like there was really kind of two big moments of that post, you know, sport performance training, right? Like where it's, you know, cause that's what it was in college. It's all just, you you know, general strength coach, sports performance type training, right? Mm-hmm. Which that's what you have to do to be good athlete at that level at any level, really. But the first one was when, and it all, they all happened within like three months of each other. Uh, when I moved back up to Boise area to get that gig at the new gym, the first one was the very first time I had heard Wim Hof on Tim Ferriss's podcast, yeah. which was back in like the fall of 2014. Yep. Right. And so that was my very first introduction to him. I'm like, what he's saying sounds like the coolest stuff ever. I need to go see what this is about and see like, cause he keeps talking about, you got to just feel it. You got to experience it. And he led Tim through the thing on the podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm driving. I can't do this while I'm driving. So I'll right. wait till I get to the gym. It was like five in the morning. <clears throat> and I go to the gym and I do the full round, right? Like the full, the full cycle, the 30 breaths, the breath hold at the end, like all that stuff. And that was one of those literal moments where I'm like, what the heck just happened? Like, that was awesome. Like there's something to this, whatever this is. I don't even know where this is going to go, but like, I want to know more about why this just happened to me. Yep. And so like, I went down that breath and that, that breath, breath work, but also like how to utilize your breathing for performance. Right. So like there was something to, for me to learn and attach back into my training to, to have a variable that I could manipulate and see like, this makes a difference when I do this versus when I don't. And that's when I started, uh, like, that's when I really got into guys like Brian McKenzie. And I went through all his art of breath courses and his certifications and everything and did that whole thing. Brian's awesome. Uh, He's the best dude. He is seriously awesome. And, uh, and so I went through that whole thing. And so like the breathwork thing has always kind of weaved its way ever since I started coaching. I mean, that's been like eight years now, nine years now. And then that the second one was when I, I started using kettlebells and like I had used them because it's like, they're in the gym. You can use them for like, it was always like, and it's how it's seen now. A lot of times people are just like, Oh, you could just use these for like some conditioning type things. Like here's, here's how to do kind of a swing and you just do this to kind of get some conditioning in. Right. Like people, mm-hmm didn't really utilize them as strength tools or like movement enhancers 
of your yeah. ability to like actually get more mobile, right? And so the the guy that I learned from, I mentioned him before. His name's Perrin, and uh, he's in his. He actually just turned seventy this year. He's who I went on that elk hunt with back in September. I think I'd probably send. Oh, you a that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. And um, he's he's seventy this year, and he's who I learned kettlebells from. So he was in his early 60s at the time, and he had trained in the RKC style and had graduated into like strong first stuff and had been doing it for years. And he uh, was teaching me all of these movements and took me through a workout with my uncle at the time, who how I was introduced to him. And when I went through this workout, learning these movements, and he would like manually come up and like, you know, rotate my hips over and pull my shoulders down and like manually set me in these positions. He's like, I need you to feel what this feels like when you're in a correct position. Like, I, I can't rely on you to just do it on your own. You don't know what you're doing yet. So he would literally yeah. like come over and like crank my body over and set me in. He's like, okay, your, your back is now completely parallel. Your shoulders are now completely parallel the other direction. Your hips are in line with your shoulders. Now I want you to stick one leg back and do a row, like a kickstand row with kettlebell. Yeah. And like my whole body like just cramped. And I'm mm -hmm. like doing one row with a 40 pound kettlebell. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why can't I do this? Yep. And so like I went through this whole thing. And I was just completely torched in the best way. Not like I was, you know, done and, and over training or whatever, because that wasn't it. But I'm just like, OK, what is this about? Why? Why have I not known about this stuff before and went down that rabbit hole and like literally and, and I got to such a I don't know if you can say like purist point with it for a while where I'm like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have one 24 kilogram bell and I'll never need anything else in my life, you know? And like <laughs> yeah. to a degree that that's probably accurate to some degree. We're, we're like, the same in that regard. I like, yeah. I would, I would love to have that reduction sauce be like, well, like I said, 40 pound kettlebell, 10 kg mace exactly. and I'm set, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I like really went down that rabbit hole with the bells and that totally transformed everything. Cause I'm like, there's so much usefulness of these tools that it, you you almost can't ever really explore all of it, no. which is like which is why I think I found it so appealing. It's the same thing with you. Like there's never really an end point to it, which is why it's still appealing to me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm able to still grow and learn new things. And there's never going to be like a point where it's like, all right, well, I'm done with kettlebells. You know, like I, I guess I I guess I beat the kettlebell like that's never going to happen. So yeah. it's for that in that regard it's like i love the tool for that and the mace was the same way like i started messing with maces probably a little bit after that same time when on it started blowing up a little bit right at the beginning there and mm -hmm. they were selling them because those are the first couple ones that i had bought and uh like i'm just like there's just these tools that i've nobody uses like why don't we use them sandbags why don't people use these and that's you know and there's all of these things that are fun which made me want to continue to train yeah. You know, like, and, and that was like the, it wasn't just about like going to beat something, going to like the competitive part was there. But for me, it's like, if I don't even enjoy it a little bit, I'm not going to go do it. Even if I'm doing it at this point in my life, like before yeah. when I was being held accountable by coaches and teammates and stuff, I could not like training, but I'm going to go do it because I know um, people are relying on me, you know, but like if I'm doing this by myself and I've got to find out a way to do this forever, like I have to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like otherwise yeah. I'm going to be just literally miserable all the time. Well, I think that's something that people need to recognize too, is like, I'm very much that way. And I, I even told you that about uh, the podcast here, like just having, you know, being able to merge our brains into one outlet 
you know, yeah. like you're a very process driven guy on like, we're going to do this. I'm going to edit this. We're, we need to make this. And those things are really like, I can contribute to the creative side of it. Like, Oh, I like this for an idea or this might be a good idea to talk about. But the actual doing, um, is, is where I just need like, okay, what do I do now? Like, what do I put? Like, you know what I mean? And that's yep. where you're good. And I think that a lot of people fail to realize that they just need accountability. So hiring yeah. a coach or having a friend that you can communicate with, that's maybe on a totally different journey, but, but once a day you text, Hey, 30 minute workout, this is what I did. How are you today? And they come back. Oh, great. One hour workout, blah, 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 blah. And just that text message right there is so powerful because that person's waiting on your text, you know, yep. and it's just a, it's a good thing because I, like I said, I am not, uh, as dedicated to myself sometimes as I should be, but I am impossibly dedicated to people that I respect and care about. So it's, um, I think a lot of people fall in that line, maybe not as, yeah. as strongly, but there's a spectrum of that, right? So if you're, I think if a person is listening to this and they're struggling as I have, um, having a Terrence or having a Greg or having a you, um, has been really beneficial to kind of organizing myself so that like, Hey, I'm that missile you point me and I'll go, but right. I don't know. I'm probably just going to detonate on site. If I, you know, like if I've left them out, somebody's got to plug own, the coordinates in. <laughs> absolutely. Cause otherwise it just, it's just ready to blow at any moment. But, um, I, I think that a lot of people hear coach and they think of, of a thing, but honestly, all of my coaches have become my friends. And right. I think that's an important thing too, because you can hire and fire a coach, um, but you don't want to disappoint your friends. So maybe it's not hiring a friend to coach you. Maybe it's finding a coach and then just really, you know, being, being thorough in that process and finding somebody you connect with, relate to, yeah. uh, feel good about. And I, I think that's just as important as what you do. And when I was powerlifting, one of the things I told my athletes, I said, I can write you a perfect program or I can write you a program that you believe in. And you'll do the one that you believe in far better than the one that's perfect for you. And yeah. I think that's a valuable thing is, is just believing in what you're doing and having cause for it. Like not just doing it because, well, you know, I need to work out. No, set a goal. Like I need to lose 20 pounds or I want to be a little bit stronger or whatever it is. Give yourself some other motivation other than I just need to train. And for me, like I said, I don't care about aesthetic that much. I just know what the people that do what I want to do look like. I know how yeah. they perform so I can scale myself around those ideals, maybe better than some in some areas, maybe worse than some in some areas, but clearly defining what you want and the things that you're willing to do to get it. And then also having accountability to someone else through that process. I, I think, again, I talk about the athletic mind or the athlete's mind, you know, you think about a kid who was raised a certain way. Well, it's going to be hard to beat those beliefs out of them through life. Same thing for an athlete. Like you raise an athlete a certain way, it's going to be hard to change those traits throughout your life because they are deeply ingrained in you. So I just kind of reasoned with myself that I needed to go back more to that model where I don't have much say in what I'm doing because I know how to coach. I know how to write a program, but I'm always going to bullshit myself somewhere. So having somebody <laughs> right. else somebody else, uh, helping me along with that is, is so valuable. And I think a lot of people are shied away from that, but I think that might be the thing that some people are missing 
it's just accountability and having a coach. And it doesn't have to, again, the, the accountability piece is a lot simpler than people make it too. You know, like it, it could be just having that one person that you're texting that day, just like you said, be like, Hey, I got this done today. Did you, you know, it doesn't have to be this huge process. It can, if that sort of structure is something that you need, right? Yeah. Like if you're somebody who needs like the, the structure of it and, you know, maybe the more frequent in-depth communication, like you got to find something that's going to provide that. But if all you need is a buddy to text you like, Hey, I hit it. Did you get it today? Like I was in the gym, I, cr- I crushed it for an hour. Like where, where were you or yep. whatever? Like sometimes that's enough for some people, but that's part of understanding like what it is about your own personality that you need to account for when deciding who to go with. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it can be even as simple as having a calendar and putting X's on it, you know, like just acknowledging that I worked out today, boom, there's an X and you start to see those empty squares when you bullshit yourself. So what, you know, I'm not saying go out and hire a coach and you'll be perfect. I'm just saying, I think a lot of people really just need to sit down and ask what they want to be. Like, what do I want to be? What do I want to be capable of doing? What am I willing to give to get those things? And then from there, you can kind of reverse engineer your process to that. Like if you want to squat 800 pounds, well, that's going to be a whole different set of advice than I want to lose 20 pounds, you know? And I think sometimes people fall into the trap of just doing what they think they should do rather than what they want to do. And Mm. I, I know that when I sit down with myself and write down things that I want to accomplish or things that I felt or think, I get clarity on those things. And then I, it peels back another layer of understanding, which leads to another question, which helps me find another answer. And I just don't know. And again, not a, not above criticism here. I just don't know if a lot of people are willing to do that or even know that they should be doing that. Like I go to work every day and I pay my bills. Well, that's great. Are you doing the job you want to? Like, is that enough to just go to work and pay your bills? What do you want to do? How can you do that? And the cool thing about the United States, and this is, you know, I've said this before, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to become, there is an illuminated pathway for you to get there in the United States. Like if you're 40 years old and you want to become a doctor, hard road, but guess what? If you've got a college degree already, the steps are there. If you're working at McDonald's and you want to go to college, the steps are there. If you want to be 15 pounds lighter, the steps are there. Somebody can get you there. If you want to make a million dollars, somebody can get you there. It's just truly understanding what do you actually want and what will you do to get it? And then don't lie to yourself. Don't say, I want to, you know, step on stage for a a physique competition when that's, that's only because you like somebody in a magazine or online and you want to look like them. That is not going to be a very strong why understand what would make you the happiest and do that. And it's the simplest advice in the world. But I do think that most people don't even know what would make them happy, which is why most people aren't happy. They, they, have, they have ingested ideas of what happiness is without ever asking themselves what happiness is. And then from there, it's the actual doing of the thing. Yeah. Each time, like the, the actual finding it and, and finding the path and finding the person that can help you is maybe the first part. But then you actually like have to take day one and then put that first X on the calendar, you know? Yeah. Well, and something I was talking about the other day is the, is the difference in, um, is the difference in motivation and process. Like you can be motivated all day long and still not do anything. 
You know, like you can, you can have every desire and like, man, I'd love to look like that guy. I would love to live his life. I would love to have his cars or his house or what you can, you can build all these things, but you're really not willing to do what it takes to get there. So you have to be realistic with yourself too. Like if you're starting out at 400 pounds, lose 10, like just set a, set a realistic goal for success that you can start to build some momentum forward. Because I think too many times, and, and it's personality type too on this. Like when I was 350 pounds, I knew I wanted to be 225 and it was come hell or high water to get there. So it was like 225 was on my goal sheet. But for somebody who has never had the discipline and they've allowed themselves to get to a state they're not happy with, that first step better be micro. It better just be, I signed up for a gym membership or, you know what I mean? It has to be so small, but so many times in my life, I didn't give myself credit for the small steps. I, I just felt like I was further behind because I didn't gain more. But I think looking back now and even the way that I address things now, those small steps, that's the recipe because the small steps are what even enable the big things to happen. If you're not doing those micro works and those, those small things, the big stuff's never going to happen. It's just like, I, you know, I'm not going to shoot, shoot any basketball for the next three years, but when there's a critical $50,000 free throw on the line that I won at a, at a basketball game, I'm going to get it done. No, you're not going to, it's like those guys that think that in a fight, they're just going to see red and kill everyone. No, you're not. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. No, you're not. <laughs> those guys. Uh, but that's a, fa- that, but so many people have this false sense of self because they're not willing yeah. to ask, okay, you know, I just think that we need to do a better job of viewing the world separate from viewing ourselves rather than just consistently viewing ourselves in the scope of the world. Because Mm. here's the thing, I'm in my truck. I can go home. I don't have to interact with the world for the rest of the week. But what does that really gain me? And what am I doing for myself other than just absorbing more of the world? I think it's good. I think it's good to get away. I think it's good to put the phone down. I think it's good to write about what you want. I think it's good to write about what you'll actually do to get what you want. And sometimes you're just not willing to get to give what it takes to get. And um, that's okay too. But you need to recalibrate your compass onto what you do want. Um, you can't sit there and be miserable because you want to make a million dollars, but you're not willing to work. Like you're going to have to figure it out. And maybe you are happier with less than a million dollars. Maybe you are, but you need to change your goal system so that a million dollars not being in your bank doesn't depress you. You know, you need, you need to identify those things. And and it, I guess a lot of this sounds hippy dippy, but man, it's the same for training. If you don't know what you're training for, what are you training for? Right. You know, like what, what is the goal here? Like what, how do we know what your training should be? If you just want to forever go through the workout and just do reps and sets, like, is that enough? Maybe, but maybe it's not. Maybe you need to know why. Maybe it's because you've got a kid now and you need to start taking better care of yourself. Maybe it's because you haven't taken care of yourself at all. Maybe it's because you want to find a new activity. I don't know. You do. And you have to know that like, by admitting what it is. Well, and I talked too about having the, and I'll say this to kind of start to close it out. I, I mentioned before, like the idea of training just for health doesn't, make sense for me. Right. I mean, it, it, or it didn't make sense for me as a, as an end goal, like, you know, health is so open ended. there's no way to measure that. Like yeah. I, I need something to like measure it against, but like, there's a lot of people I know that know exactly what that means yeah. to them. 
And so like their training reflects that exactly. Yep. And so like you can still just because I'm saying it wasn't something that was helpful for me to have such an open ended kind of goal. That was just how I interpreted that. But like I know people who are so dialed into what training for health and longevity means that there's there there's no back and forth or like decommittal aspects of their training program where where they're they're waning and then uh they get back in they know exactly what that means well i think because they defined it they have asked themselves what health means because it's like if you show me or you know there's there's a hundred thousand people online that are shredded with abs they look fantastic and when a client says to me i want to be healthy and i want to look like this guy well, sometimes that picture that you have told yourself is healthy is the furthest thing from that. Um, be, right. Being five, six percent body fat year round is not healthy. The things that most right. of those people will have to do will be in excess of just diet and training. That's where you'll be talking about uh, peptides and different steroids and different things like that. And not to say that some people won't get there without, but understand what you're looking at too as a model of what you want. You know, like truly defining what health is to you. And if you think that's healthy, well, I can show you medically that some of the things you'll have to do to get that look are not going to be in your best health interest. But hey, what about this person? 5% body fat less, maybe a little, maybe not as shredded, but that's where you can stay. And then we can get you to this point more readily. You know, that might be attainable. It's not going to be attainable all the time. And that's like I was telling you before, I like to stay right around that 12, 13% body fat. If I need to, for any reason, uh, get leaner for, like, for jujitsu, or I know I'm going to be going on a mountain that I need to be a little bit lighter, two weeks and I can literally drop my body fat a couple percentage points and change the whole way I look. You know, It's just getting closer to that goal and then refining what that goal is as you go. But I do think that some people are very misled to themselves. They don't have an actual grasp on what they say they're wanting because they don't understand what it takes. Like they want the sausage, but they don't want to see the back of the slaughterhouse. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, exactly. I think that's the truth in a lot of cases, whether it's money, whether it's, uh, business, you know, uh, body or business or whatever. A lot of people that want to start a business aren't willing to do the things that it takes to start a business and sustain a business. A lot of people that want, yep all these other things just don't truly know what they want. They just like the 50,000 foot view of it. Exactly. Let's end it there, man. I, I think was a good it, one today. I think so. And I think it helped me out too. Just being able to like, same. I needed to go back through some of that stuff in my head too. Like, uh, in terms of the, the mo- not necessarily the motivation part, but just getting some thoughts, it's always easier to flesh out ideas, speaking them yeah. instead of just trying to think them all in my head the whole time. Well, it's been nice too, because a lot of these things that we've been talking about, they've, they've kind of opened me up in my mind to things that I've thought about, but not thought about in the sense of having to say them to another person, right. you know, and that's been good for me too. So I really appreciate this. And, um, it's, I, I definitely think I've looked at some things differently, just you and I talking. Yeah, same. So, love it, man. Well, we've got good ones. Uh, we've got videos and we got uh, Mark coming on. Yep. Next week. Yeah, it was supposed to be uh, this week, but we had one. A, we changed it up for a couple reasons. Yep, but uh, he wanted to get you your bow, yeah. which is going to be sweet, which I'm excited to talk about and get you to shoot. So I, I'm looking forward to talking with him about it. I can't wait. It's going to be so great, and they did such a good job. 
Yep. Well, we'll catch in next week. Peace out, everyone. Thanks, guys. Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got great-